We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Sadly, there are a lot of people in this city who have lost family members and other loved ones to gun violence, and a number of them turn their grief into activism in the effort to heal themselves and the communities around them. But how do you forgive and move others forward? This week, we'll talk about that with someone who knows. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. There are no people I've interviewed on this program who humble me and amaze me more than parents who have lost children to gun violence. They endure the worst pain of loss imaginable, but keep going on, most of them. And we've heard from those who've turned their grief into action. But this week, you're going to hear from a woman who's taken a step beyond that and see what comes next. My guest is Lisa Daniel. She is the founder and executive director of the Darren B. Easterling Center for Restorative Practices. You'll learn about what all that means as we hear Ms. Daniel's story. Her son was shot and killed in 2012 during a drug deal gone bad. Now, that is the bluntest and most basic way to describe that tragic event. But it's deeper truth, it is the deeper truth of that day and the path that Lisa Daniels' life has taken since then that have brought her here. And that's what we're going to talk about. Lisa Daniels, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you for having me. Well, it's it's nearly five years since Darren Easterling died, and I know it must be painful to have to relive uh, all of that in the telling, but Please take us through that day and what happened afterwards that affected you so much. That day began for me as a regular day, of course. It was a Sunday, uh, so there was church, and there was uh, lunch after church with family and friends. Um, there was It was hot. It was about 95 degrees that day, and it had been hot for quite some time. There was um, relaxing for the evening, and then at about nine-ish or so, there was a phone call. And that was the phone call that actually um, changed the trajectory, the news of that phone call, actually, changed the trajectory of, of my life and, and, and everybody's life that I know. Um, changed it for you, actually, because today we're here. Um, one of my son's friends called and is trying to be as calm as he possibly could, but I could hear that there was the undertone of, of anxiety in his voice. And he expressed to me that something had happened. He wasn't quite sure. And he couldn't reach Darren on the phone. Uh, he had been trying to call. There was no answer. Um, he heard that there was um, a robbery, that there was a drug deal, that there was a body, that there, you know, in this particular area that he knew Darren had gone that day, and um, he didn't know what to do. And uh, I got off the phone, and I had a conversation uh, to the, with the person that was with me at the time, and I asked, um, 
you know, what do you think we do? What do, what do you think we should do? And his suggestion, uh, after we made several other phone calls, I called the hospital in the area. This took place in uh, South Suburban Park Forest. I called the hospital in the area. I called the police station in the area. And no one had any information. Um, and, and oddly enough, looking back on that, the police uh, may not have been willing to give information because at that point they had information. Um, because it because the incident took place at about one thirty in the afternoon, um, but no one had any information, and so the next suggestion was that I contact the county morgue, and I did, and they the gentleman I'll never forget the gentleman that answered the phone very matter of factly, um, said yeah he's here, and and it was so a matter of fact that uh, my first response was almost to say oh okay can I talk to him then you know because it was so you know just like he's sitting in the lobby you know oh yeah he's here sure yeah um and quick processing said no no he's not in the lobby he's he's there Mm -hmm. he's there Lisa yeah and the way that this whole um, incident went public also affected mm, you. Yeah, the newspaper article, the Daily South Town. Um, they did what a newspaper, I guess, is supposed to do. They reported the facts. Um, and when I read the article the following morning, and I read it in an online publication, not in the uh, hard copy. Um, so the headline read, Man shot to death in Park Forest had drug and felony convictions. All true. He had a he had a history. Uh, he had a criminal record. He had an extensive criminal record. But my thought was, that's my child. He's my youngest son, and he was not the sum total of that experience. And I refused to allow that to be his legacy. I read comments from viewers uh, who had read the article. And it's the fun that's the funny thing about this this online society that exists. You know, people yes. get to be their their best and their worst selves um, behind behind the screen or, or behind yeah, behind the monitor. They get to be whoever they want to be and they get to say whatever they want to say without regard to how it how it lands. Um, on the other end, and and so there were people that that had very very unkind things to say about me, about my son, and about the entire experience that again, literally changed the trajectory of my life. Um, and I thought, wow, um, I can't sit still for this. I I couldn't sit still for it. I couldn't sit still um, for being for for uh, having as I said before, for having my son's um, uh, legacy be based on the sum total of one experience that he had in his, mm-hmm. in, in his 25 years. Yes, because yeah, he was more than... He was more he, than that, yeah, and, and we father. all are. He yeah, was, he was a father, he was a brother, he was a son, he was a nephew, um, he was a friend to many people, and um, none of us are the worst thing that we've ever done or the worst thing that have ever happened to us. And that, that, that statement encompasses both he and I, 
because this was about what he has done and it is about what happened to me. And that actually brings us to what made your case, at least at the time, and I actually haven't heard of anything like this since, unique. And that's the going to trial, or not really a trial. No. Because the uh, the man who committed the murder, the mm-hmm. man who did the shooting, mm-hmm. pleaded guilty mm-hmm. to second-degree murder. He did. And you were there at the sentencing, and that's when this story changed appreciably, but along the lines that you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, I, I hear you when you say it, it changed, but it didn't change because that was always my stance. The 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 words that I read in the victim impact statement on that day, four years later, um, were was always the space that I was in. I was never angry about what happened to Darren. Um, but now tell let's okay. Tell that, us what, what what happened at the victim impact yes. statement. What happened at the at the at the uh, sentencing hearing? I read a victim impact statement. I got an opportunity to read a victim impact statement. I actually was uh, I actually asked for that um, to the I asked the state the assistant state's attorney if that could be a component of the plea agreement mm-hmm. because I understood that that wasn't. You know, typical. That Although it, it is, it is a right. Okay. For, for, okay. And 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 the thing is, is that for those of us who cover trials, sure, it is so so often where family members get to express mm-hmm. their anger and mm-hmm. their pain mm-hmm. and look the person in the eye and say that you did this to yeah, us. Yeah. And yeah. And that wasn't what you did. No, no, because that wasn't the way I felt. Uh, I simply asked, I pleaded for his life. Um, and I said that him being the young man who convict, who uh, committed the murder. And the one thing that, that stands out for me, did I talk about the pain? Mm, yes, I did, because it's real. It doesn't change um, simply because Darren was both victim and perpetrator in the act that took his life. But... As I said in the statement, I don't know all of the details that took place on that day, but there were two things that I know for sure. One is that Darren did not deserve to die because of the worst mistake of his life. And this young man, whose name is Michael Reed, did not deserve to spend another day in jail because of the worst mistake of his life. And so I asked the judge if he would please show leniency in the sentencing um, aside from what was in the plea agreement, if he would just show leniency uh, for this young man. Because my thought was it could have easily gone the other way around. Darren had an extensive criminal record. And had he not died that day, he would be in jail. Had he not died that day, he would be in jail for a very, very long time because of the the circumstances that he was already he was already on parole um he was on parole with a weapon in his hand he was on parole that discharged he was on parole using a weapon in the midst of a criminal act and let's just say consider the possibility that the other young man had died and Darren didn't um by my understanding as sentencing goes he would probably have been looking at natural life versus the 15 years that Michael Reed was looking at. 
Michael Reed didn't have a criminal record aside from uh, some misdemeanor uh, drug charges prior to that. And I just believed that he had hope. And had it been the other way around and that young man had lost his life and my son was fighting for his life, even though he played a, a major role, he took he would have to have taken full responsibility for everything that brought him to that day. I would still want somebody to to believe in him and believe in the possibility that he could be a reformed person. And so why would I say that that's what I believe for my son and not want it and believe it for somebody else's? Um, is there any sign that your, your gesture uh, made uh, Michael Reed, uh, made, made a difference, an impact on him? Uh, when he was um, preparing to leave the courtroom, he was shackled hands and feet, his attorney got up and helped him pull his chair back to leave the room. And he turned and looked back at me and he said, thank you. Mm. He was actually granted the leniency that I asked for. Yeah. Um, this is probably where we need to start talking about uh, restorative justice because <laughs> that's something that yeah. came up during this process. Uh, how did you, I mean, it's, 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 it's they're fancy words, well, what 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 does it really mean? Um, in totality, pre- repairing the harm, um, bringing community together to repair the harm that's done, and um, forgiveness is encompassed in there as well. Um, it's not new; it's um, a very very old practice concept, and for. Years and years in the indigenous um, societies, people came together, community came together, and they handled their own issues. Um, If there was a robbery in the community, the offender was brought before the victims, and they worked together because the belief is that when you commit a crime or when you cause harm to another you not only affect that person, but you also affect the community. And that said, the community has a role in, 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 in positioning the offender to be held accountable for the harm that they've done. And this was that. This was him being held accountable, but also... Um, not being treated as an outsider, but being welcomed into the space, my space, and saying, you're still a human, you're still part of, of, of this, this, the fabric of this society, and you're still needed here. We, we still need you. We still need whatever gifts and, and, and talents and skills and abilities that you have to contribute, and you're not going to be able to do them behind those bars. So learn what you need to learn by being held accountable for what you've done, but then come back and and be a part of this fabric. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and we're talking with Lisa Daniels, uh, who lost a son to gun violence in the South Suburbs and now runs a nonprofit organization that aims to help crime victims and perpetrators. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, I'll tell you, we have, t- t- and I, we were talking a little bit about this before the, before we started recording. We have had a number of 
parents who've lost children to gunfire on this program, and uh, several have banded together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the groups you hear most often about is Purpose Over Pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you decided on uh, to have an organization. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about the decision process and and what gave rise to the Easterling Center. Mm. The decision process um, was was actually an easy one because I knew that Darren could not just die. I, I believed that wholeheartedly, that he could not just die <laughs> and nothing good come of it. Um, and, and so it started when in one way and evolved once I um, began digging deeper into the concepts and the, and the um, application of restorative practices. So one of the things that the organization, well, I, let me backtrack just a little bit more. One of the things that I learned in, in not, not necessarily researching, but again, just kind of seeing what was going on around me. Um, one of the things that I came to realize was that unresolved trauma was playing such a major, major role in a lot of the things that, that we're experiencing in, in this, this, uh, this, this thing that's taken over our city uh, called gun violence, called um, mass uh, uh, violence in, in the communities. And what I, what, I, what I evolved to once I got over the the shame of Darren's experience because I was embarrassed initially. I knew I needed to do something, but I didn't feel like I belonged or that I would fit in because of the circumstances. And when I, once I got over that, once I got over the fact that my son is a human being and his life deserves um, restoration, his life deserves reconciliation, his children deserve reconciliation and restoration, um, I, I got over that and and began forging ahead. There are three groups that were uh, most affected, I think, or demographics that 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 were most affected by Darren's loss. This was a personal thing for me, and those three groups encompass number one, his children, children of individuals who lose their parents as a result of an act of gun violence, and that can take on two two uh, different sides. That child can lose their parent um, as a result of having died as a result of gun violence or as a result of them going to prison for having committed an act of gun violence. Because, if again, I say if had Darren not died that day, he'd be in jail. And so his parent, his children would be uh, children of a parent who is actually serving uh, a very, very long sentence in prison. And I can't imagine, and and I would think that you can either, Craig, that if because of the the numbers that we're experiencing on the on the, of crime in this city, that there are hundreds of thousands of children who fall into that category who have lost their parent again to either either their parent has died or their parent is in prison, and they have to live with that. And what I don't see being addressed is the unresolved trauma that goes along with that, the emotional issues that go along with that. Are we are we setting ourselves up by not recognizing these children? Are we setting ourselves up to continually repeat the cycle um, if they're not healed from the experience? So that's one group that we 
uh, as an organization will address. The next group is mothers like myself. Again, lost a child to gun violence uh, as a because he died or lost him to the prison system. There's a shame that goes along with that. There's a stigma that goes along with that. And there's an area of a, a place where one can have a tendency to get stuck, like I almost did had I not gotten beyond and been able to break free of what what society could put the stigma that 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 society could put on me because this is what my son did i've i've had um countless experiences where i've been interviewed by individuals uh who want to know what my role was what did i not do as a parent what did i do what they want to they want to put blame and there's no room for blame they're, they're really not in my situation. There, there's no room for blame. I did everything I could. I gave him all the tools that he needed, and he made his own choices. And I moved beyond this because I respect his choices. I don't like them, but I respect them. And the final group is men just like Darren, uh, ages 16 to 25, who are dealing with their own levels of trauma, dealing with their own experiences that they have not resolved and are formerly incarcerated. And so now they have that extra uh, a layer that prevents them from moving into purpose. And that's another reason why the organization has been started to help with the reentry process. And I've assured Michael Reed in uh, a letter that once he finishes his sentence in 2019, that we are available to help him in his reentry process. Um, are you finding that people are willing to be part of this kind of community where you are taking the children and the, the families who mm -hmm. are victims in, in their own way and the young men into that same community? Are you finding that people are, are buying into that? In a way that I never thought imaginable. You know, I, I, I just attended the National uh, Restorative Justice Conference in Oakland uh, two weeks ago in Oakland, California, and there were people from all across the country converging on this one place that believe in the power of restoration and believe in the power of forgiveness and compassion. And I was I was amazed, uh, and I'm still amazed today at the support that the organization receives. It, it, particularly since we are still in our fledgling stages, uh, we've only been incorporated since October of last year, and the level of support is is beyond my understanding. It it really well I don't want to say my my understanding, but just it blows me. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it it really does. It and 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 not that I don't think that it's worthy, but I was because I was going to do it anyway and I had to do it. And the people that come out and support are um, really, really amazing to me. And it, it is in its fledgling stages. In fact, you're, you're in some ways you're really just kicking it off seriously uh, this month. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, today, in fact, yeah, today we um, in May of last last May, this past May, we received our first grant uh, through the Chicago Community Trust and the uh, Chicago Fund for Safe and Peaceful Communities. We received a, uh, a grant to do a summer program, and we are beginning that program today, working in conjunction with Chicago Public Schools and the Chicago Police Department. And I w will mention, uh, before we move on to a 
slightly uh, different subject, sure. not really, uh, that you are actually kind of having a kickoff for it this month. If people want to, first off, what date is it? And if okay. people want to find out more information, how can they? Awesome. That's well, next month, July 22nd, which will mark the fifth year of Darren's passing. And if they want to learn more information about our inaugural benefit reception, they can visit our website at www.dbefoundation.org. Um, now that we are talking about that wider community, how can that make a difference when we deal with the violence itself so that this 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 club we keep talking about this this fraternity or sorority uh, if you will of people who've lost children to and lost family members loved right. ones to gun violence mm-hmm. keeps growing yes it does uh how do we how do we address that kind of violence i've had a number of people in fact there was a uh, the, the week only last week mm-hmm. we had a uh, an anti-violence activist and candidate for governor tio hardiman on who said this is this is something that it, we can't blame this on our state government or our city government. Mm-hmm. This is something the African American community has to handle itself. Mm-hmm. How? I agree with Teo, uh, but I also agree that it's not a solo project. That is, I think, where we may differ a little bit. I do believe that the community has a a massive responsibility in containing what uh, we're experiencing. I think that the community, not only do they have the responsibility to, but they also have the ability to make, to help law enforcement maintain uh, what we're experiencing in the community, what we're experiencing in the community um, goes back to the statement we hear all the time. When you see something, say something. Um, I think that I've, the, the, the community comes out in numbers and, uh, when something has happened where there's an incident uh, that involves law enforcement, and we're good, we're we're really really good at at being um, mad as you know what, and not and not taking it anymore. Um, when when the fight is against something else, someone else, or, or another entity, or when the finger is pointed in another direction, but not as uh, great when it comes to looking in the mirror. And accepting accepting our own level of responsibility, I like to think that that massive um, shutdown of North Michigan Avenue, uh, in light of the Laquan McDonald shooting and the videotape being exposed, could have taken place in the community. And I remember seeing people lock arms in front of uh, stores on Michigan Avenue to keep the bot keep the the shoppers from going in and and shutting down the the economic. Uh, gain of 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 the retail community on that particular day, and I say, put that same passion into uh, locking arms against a drug dealer that's selling drugs in the house right across the street from you. Shut it down. Mm-hmm. Shut it down right in your community. Um, do you think? And we only have really only about a minute left because we, we've had so much. We, we we could do an hour on this. Wow. Uh, we. It, what. Is there enough trust in the police for people to be confident enough to see something and say something? Um, probably not, but it's necessary. I think it's necessary. And I'm going to ask you your opinion on something because there's been a big debate upon whether the city ought to have some independent monitor, uh, oversee police mm-hmm. accountability, 
or to have a court oversee police accountability in order for the people in the community, in your community and mm-hmm. other communities mm-hmm. around here to feel confident, what's the answer that's going to give people confidence that reform is happening? Definitely an independent, definitely an independent entity that uh, is totally objective, um, non-lawmakers, non-law enforcement, possibly community, possibly um, individuals with, with, with re, uh, experience and in, in oversight but definitely uh, a, an independent review to keep the police accountable. Yeah, it sounds like you're saying there needs to be more community in the community. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> the community that's good. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's going to be the final word. Uh, thank you very much. That is Lisa Daniels. And uh, thank you so much for coming down. Thank you uh, for having me. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, cbschicago.com. Just follow the audio links. You can also find our podcasts on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.